welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast. This is Volume 5, Issue 224, Jamestown, Legend of the Lost Colony. You can play along with Kane and Rinse Volume 5, the next five games we are covering as we head into summer. Golden Axe next week. After that, Nino Cooney, Wrath of the White Witch, and then it's back on to our Legend of Zelda series with a kind of doubleheader of Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. Uh, you may remember the week after uh, Legend of Zelda, we were due to do her story, but there was a schedule switch, so it's now Ori in the Blind Forest. And then gardening season will be upon us by the time we get into July, and it's Plants vs. Zombies to round out the next five episodes. If you would be so kind, whatever software you happen to listen to your podcasts, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, whether it's Sound of Player Kane and Rinse, giving us a thumbs up or a few stars or a review on there does absolute wonders for getting our podcast out to new potential listeners. So if you could support us in any one of those ways, we would be more than grateful. Uh, it's always nice to hear positive feedback. And when it uh, gets our name out there, that's helpful too. I am James Carter, and joining me in this issue, Tony Atkins. Hello. Ryan Heyman. It's okay to cry when you're sad. <laughs> it's from the game. <laughs> and life. And returning special guest, chased here by Spaniards, Simon Cole. <laughs> Hopefully high fidelity, hello. Uh, so, Jamestown, Legend of the Lost Colony, just to kind of broach the game, uh, what it is and where it came from. Uh, was released originally on the 8th of June 2011 for Windows and Mac. Uh, there was a, an upgraded version, Jamestown Plus, that came to PlayStation 4 on the 17th of March last year. That's 2015. We will talk a little on that later. Um, this game was developed by Final Form Games. Uh, they they are three people, as far as I can tell from having read interviews and looking at their uh, their website. Apologies for pronunciations on surnames if I if I mess these up, but uh, Mike Ambrogi or Ambrogi um, does the design and art in this game. Tim Ambrogi or Ambrogi does the programming, and as his uh, bio on the site says, Halstead Larson does pretty much everything else. The composer for this game was Francisco Cerda. And before we get into a bit more about what the game actually is, I thought it would be interesting to find out how everyone came to the game, because uh, it's not that well-known a game, I don't think, but let's find out. So, uh, Sai, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, um, around sort of 2011, I was sort of beginning to look at sort of the uh, indie shmups that were turning up on Steam here and there. Mm. Uh, and this one caught my eye because the developers were referencing a few games I was really into. I think Pro, Ge Pro Gear by Cave being the, the main one. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I thought, right, I need to play this. Um, so as soon as it came out on Steam, downloaded it, and I was quite taken with it. Excellent. So you, you've had it since pretty much day one by the sounds of it then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I think I remember where I which publication I was reading. It was something on the internet and mm. they were saying, oh, you know, we're really into our Dan Maku shooters, our Manic shooters and really yeah, into yeah. cave games. And they were talking about this game they were making, which had been heavily influenced directly by uh, Pro Gear, which yeah. is a horizontal, rare horizontal cave shooter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was thinking, right, I've got to play this. So yeah, mm -hmm. as soon as it appeared, I was uh, straight onto it. 
Uh, excellent. That's, that's interesting because it's not a game that, going back and, and looking now, it's not a game that received a massive amount of coverage at the time. Um, so, so obviously you're looking in the right places. Yeah, like I say, I was kind of uh, beginning to really root around for these um, <laughs> little shmups that were turning up here yeah, and there. Yeah. These um, there were a lot of in- indie titles that were uh, riffing on, um, you know, the the cave raising yeah, eating yeah, style definitely. of shooter, yeah. uh, and it, I just chanced upon it on um, somewhere on the internet. It might have even been in a forum. Mm. Um, so yeah, but like you say, yeah, it was kind of pretty obscure at the time. Although yeah, yeah. you say that, I think it's gained a bit of a reputation hasn't it i think over the years yes, or at least yeah yeah at least that's how it's always um seemed to me no i think there's uh there's a couple of reasons for that and it'll be interesting uh to hear from uh, ryan and tony how they came across it because um not not necessarily one that i would have expected a lot of people to have heard of necessarily so ryan how about yourself yeah this is one that i probably wouldn't have encountered organically mm. if i hadn't uh Back in college, a buddy of mine had this and was playing it during one of our kind of like get together and play games nights. And so it's really all thanks to him that I ended up encountering it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I'd been interested in this type of like bullet hell, shoot 'em up, but I'd always been kind of intimidated to come to it because uh, it's a series that, or it's a a genre that requires quite a bit more. Uh, manual dexterity and I've, I've never had a lot of success with these types of games but <laughs> no. i saw him play it and i thought like yeah you know that that seems doable and so mm-hmm. i ended up probably buying it although i'm sure it's been in humble bundles and so i mm-hmm. probably have lots of copies of it lots of keys stacked around, up yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. so yeah it, it's probably one that i just because of its bundle inclusion i would have ended up owning eventually but i probably wouldn't have played if i didn't know what it was because mm. a friend introduced me to it but sure. that's my way into it yeah and tony how about your uh, yourself um i'm really really bad at these types of games <laughs> <laughs> legendary so but um no i i mean i came across it like a lot of games that can happen is seeing on the spreadsheet seeing what gets put on there seeing what we've got forthcoming titles to play um interested when other people pick a game as their choice for the show um, James, this obviously mm. being yours, and I was thinking, well, is it just because it's Jamestown and he's really just gone very, <laughs> like, yep, I'm making a game about me. Um, I am the mayor of Jamestown. Exactly. But it, it <laughs> turned out to be a, uh, you know, a, a shooter. And it's a genre I've not really messed around with since uh, mm. my younger days. Um, I don't know why. I think I just preferred other types of genres. Um, so the fact that you put this as your, your pick, James, it was a, a, a time for me to go, I might give something else, just a, a change of pace. So mm-hmm. it's not one that I owned. Um, no, it's one that sure. I actually, uh, I'm, I'm playing through uh, Carl Moon of this, this very show. I'm, I'm playing through his Steam account, which is very <laughs> kind of him. Um, it's a nice and easy access there. Um, and I played it over the last couple of weeks. So uh, I shall let you know my thoughts. But uh, yeah, not a genre that I, I'm, I'm not an expert. I mean, I've played stuff like Ikaruga mm. and stuff like that. The, the ones that I feel like, a genre divine, even if it's yes, not yeah, yeah. not something I will necessarily stick with to the very end. But obviously, with this show, we need to do that. So I did. Yeah. Uh, no, it'll, it'll be very interesting to hear because I have some theories about this game as far as people who don't usually enjoy or or uh, have mm. success with switch maps, and it'll be interesting to hear whether or not that kind of dovetails. Mm. Um, 
So interestingly, what I've got next for us to talk about is just what is Jamestown. And the reason for that is that I um, I picked up this game via Humble Bundle. It was part of a Humble Bundle that I picked up for some other game because although it was one of the headliners in that Humble Bundle, it was one of the two that everyone was talking about being in there. It wasn't the one that I picked up the bundle for. So I just had this game on Steam for quite some time. And mm-hmm. it was actually our cave show that got me back into playing shmups as as much as a, as as reflective of how much i enjoy them like you tony i am rubbish at these this is like fighting games for me a game uh, genre that i absolutely adore i love the theory of and i just don't have the reactions and the ability to play mm. shmups at high levels so playing through something like death smiles for the first time i just burn through continues like 15 continues or whatever it is funny you mention that because i i also don't Mm. get on with um just fighters as well as much as i like them i always struggle in them and even on the easy settings i'm like oh my god how do people get to end this stuff (laughs) but um yeah yeah and i don't know if there's any parallels there but yeah the fact that this must have been in a humble bundle or at least cheap because when you look i played this via steam i think there's like 29 people on my steam friends list have this game and when you look there's about six people that have played it you being one of them james so <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Humble bundles, I think, are the main uh, reason for that. But yeah, uh, uh, after about a year of being out, it was in Steam sales for mm. two thirds off and all, all this sort of stuff. So I think it's one that a lot of people have probably picked up because of decent word of mouth. But um, yeah, if playing shmups is difficult, uh, getting a hold of and staying on top of what shmups are coming out, as as Simon you just said, that's equally as challenging. You have to know where to look and you have to be willing to in some cases play through modded consoles and all sorts to get them which again we we talked about uh cave on in the 360 era just thankfully rising star made it much much easier to get hold Mm. of them than it would have been otherwise because it can be a nightmare uh sometimes i mean i know when i first started getting into the genre that it was one of the staples of video games Mm. and now It's kind of being pushed back underground. Which, it's very um, niche now, isn't it? Yeah, it's really niche. But there's there's loads of really good stuff. It, it, like I say, it's just mm-hmm. finding it though. Yeah, there's a lot of really creative stuff coming out of the indie community as well, like Cinemora and uh, Crimson Clover recently. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, no, there's uh, there's some uh, later on that I want to mention as kind of what I consider stablemates of this, mm. which are the the modern kind of resurg- resurgence of non-cave, non-treasure shooters, and this definitely sits in in that group. A lot of them seem to be Western developers as well, who yes. aren't yeah. really afraid of sort of turning the genre on its head. Whereas I think that sort of traditional sort of Japanese developers tend to, it tends to be about honing and refining. Uh, the mechanics yeah, of the genre, the template. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the the Western developers are, tend to be a bit more playful. Yeah. Um, I don't want to generalise, but that always seems seems to be the way mm. when you play these games. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, actually, there there have been two mentioned just there that I didn't have on my list of modern <laughs> non cave non treasure, but inspired by those uh, shmups. So yeah, I have to say, as somebody mm. you know, not necessarily new to the genre, I've, I've played plenty of, of the genre, but. It's quite an intimidating genre from the outside. Yep. Um, a bit like the fighting game you know, genre that you know both you and me struggle with, James. Mm. I love, I love, love Street Fighter, mm-hmm. but it just seems to have taken a, to a different league away from my you know, my own internal abilities. And it seems like every fighter I come against, that's that's the same case. And it's it's yeah. certainly got easier, um, you know, and they're, they're certainly quicker to for tutorials, etc. But I've definitely seen shrubs uh, as a genre that I just. 
from the outside looking in like, ah, oh, that just seems so complex mm. now. Um, so it was actually interesting that Jamestown come about and I could play it and I could get to the end, which we will talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so as far as that's concerned, I, the way I came to Jamestown was by knowing the title and seeing a couple of screenshots and I've put in two screenshots into the show notes, which are just the menu title sort of title screen uh, and one of the storyboard. Uh, and those are two of the most common uh, images that come up on a Google search as well. And they tell you nothing about the game. It's usually easy to see a screenshot of a smup and know mm-hmm. exactly what you're in for, um, especially a, a Manic or Bullet Hell one. But this would have had me convinced it was a SNES era RPG or something, in all honesty, looking at that title screen. Mm, yeah. So I don't know if anyone else felt this, but obviously the, the way that you guys came to this was knowing what the game was in the first place. But um, the, there are aspects of the aesthetic of this game that that kind of uh hid what it was from me i guess or i made assumptions about it based on well, the, a couple the, of screenshots that weren't the, the name itself isn't very schmuppy i, I don't know what <laughs> what that exactly means in my own head but when you put it on on the list i was like okay james has picked like a it sounds like a 3d platformer with uh or a like a, a top-down <laughs> yeah, yeah, adventure yeah. game jamestown yeah i can see that looked at the first screen thinking well this is exactly what i think it is dig a little deeper <laughs> and going huh it's a smart yeah. okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. First impression certainly how oh, it's it's maybe hides a a different layer or wears a different set of clothing than maybe you would expect. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that title screen as well, uh, very Bastion esque. Oh, very. Uh, yeah, yeah. In terms of the the little protagonist sprite, the fact that it's uh, um, slightly pixelated, very colourful, uh, cutesy almost art style and broken sections of land out in front of you and, and clouds and it's very sort of fantasy fueled. Um, there, um, there's quite a few bits that are quite atypical about it, of genre, and the, the aesthetic, but also it's it's a shmup with, and we'll get onto this I'm sure, but it's a, with a story that's <laughs> quite interesting uh, and the music as well is very unshmup like as well. It has that sort of 16-bit aesthetic, that SNES era um, aesthetic uh, in terms of its looks. But it, yeah, in terms of the music, there's nothing chip tunes about this at all. Um, so we'll, we will come back to that and there is plenty more to be said. But uh, right now I do want to tuck into that story first and foremost because we had a, a very interesting piece of community feedback Um in particular, that that I wanted to just see if that sparked some discussion in us, because often uh, I think it's fair to say shmup stories can be very uh, not necessarily disposable, but it, they're they're in in tune with the aesthetics of the game, but not necessary by any stretch of the imagination to really uh, dig into or understand. But in this case, I think there is a bit more here than I would usually expect in terms of discussion. I don't think any of it is really essential. Like it doesn't. That's true. Uh, yeah. It doesn't play against the gameplay in the same way that you know, like an like a Uncharted or something would, where the hmm. the story is necessary to understand the way that the game plays, like on a yeah. on a kinetic level. But hmm. um, the the story does stand out, and they put a lot of emphasis and attention on it uh, hmm. with those. Uh, those illustrated cutscenes that kind of reminded me of the yeah. uh, the old like old Monkey Island shots when they would take yeah, all much. those like little yeah. low fidelity sprites and then blow them <laughs> up into yeah. realistic looking pictures of people. Um, 
which I, I didn't immensely care for the art style of the cutscenes in this sure. game, but uh, I, I thought it was ambitious what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that they decided to kind of weave these alternate history things in there as well. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was an interesting story that they were telling, but it didn't feel like it was entirely necessary or like they were even taking themselves entirely seriously at all times. The alternative history of Mars, yes. <laughs> no, it's the so well-known well. <laughs> alternate history of Mars. So just to, to lay some ground, uh, groundwork on this, as, as you guys have both said, it's alternate history, 1619. It's settlement era, New World, uh, Americas, basically, but Mars has been colonized. That's, that's essentially the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, so based on the British settlement of the quote-unquote New World in what is now uh, North Carolina, I had to do a lot of back reading on this because... Um, as is probably fair to say for, I think, probably most of us who are British, we don't necessarily know a great deal about the settlement of America compared to Ryan, yourself, and, and other mm-hmm. Americans, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, Mars has been colonised by the British. One of the first colonies, Roanoke, which is a, a real place on our planet, not Mars, um, has been lost. So it was settled and has since been completely lost. No one can find it. No one knows what happened to the settlers there. Um, And Walter Raleigh, who is ostensibly the protagonist, has escaped execution on Earth for crimes we do not know, but something heinous. And he has fled to Mars to escape that fate, but in the hope that he can win back his reputation by finding the lost colony. (laughs) There's no indication that his crime is tied to this or anything necessarily, but that's, yeah, that's his logic anyway. Um... So he arrives on Mars, enters into the British side of a conflict between British settlers and Spanish-aligned Martian natives, but it's never really explained uh, what the Spanish interest in this is, aside from just overthrowing the British. Uh, But they seem to have have put themselves in league with and and perhaps uh, leading what have been up until this point dormant Martian natives uh, rather than forces they're they're just the the native beings on the planet and which sets up this interesting notion i think of question marks over who rally's definitely the uh protagonist but is he the hero and the martians are the antagonists but are they really the bad guys are they really the enemies in this um and we received a, a quite long uh but very well put and well thought out post uh, on our forums from Owen Kettleson. So hopefully, listeners, you'll bear with me as as I uh, as I read through Owen's excellent post, and I think it might just give us a kind of starting off point to discuss the story. Uh, certainly, from what I think is a, a pretty interesting perspective. Uh, so here we go. Owen says, "I have a lot of problems with the plot and setting of Jamestown: The Legend of the Lost Colony." It's basically a story of how colonialism can redeem and purify past transgressions, complete with a happy ending. Except that's an archaic understanding of colonialism, one that ignores the horrors brought to the locals by the colonizers. Jamestown isn't set on Mars. It tries to be, but it's an obvious allegory for the creation of the British Empire on the New World. That brings baggage which steampunk Mars can't get rid of. They gloss over atrocities and create others where they didn't happen, portraying the colonisation of the New World as a noble endeavour in ways it never was. This is especially true when Jamestown deals with First Nations imagery. The most egregious example is how Jamestown paints the Martians as aggressive antagonists, 
the pause in the action to let the players see the remnants of the Roanoke colony destroyed by a Martian attack serves to tell the player these are the bad guys and you need to take revenge, except that absolutely is not what happened. While it's possible that the actual Roanoke settlers were massacred by First Nations, all the evidence is that they left their settlement fort of their own accord. The idea that they were mercilessly slaughtered in their homes is perpetuating the false idea of real First Nations as ruthless savages that deserve the genocide they ended up receiving. I could brush that aside as an unfortunate oversight, but after that story beat, the game twists history in a way I find even more troubling. Victoria Dare and Joachim are introduced. These characters are given the visual identifiers of being First Nations. Victoria is dressed in leather skins and Joachim sports a mohawk, both largely Hollywood anachronisms of First Nations dress. They are presented as the established settlers who have integrated into the new land. Both Victoria Dare and Joachim Jans, uh, Gans sorry, are real people that existed in the history of the European takeover, except they were a white Christian and Jew respectively. Their fictional versions here exist solely to have some First Nation looking characters on the side of quote-unquote the good guys, excusing the fact that you're shooting native Martians. The only point the game acknowledges the Martians as sentient beings is in the farce variant of one of the cutscenes, so Jamestown ends up being a game where the player is tasked with eradicating all the native presence that doesn't fit into what the British saw as proper, quote-unquote. Uh, while white adapting natives get to live, they were the good guys. Maybe I'm overanalyzing a schmuck plot, but in a place where native people are still pressured to become more white, this bothers me a whole lot. This pressure has harmed those people for centuries. Here in Canada, we had a residential school system created to take First Nation children away from their families to Roman Catholic schools where they were banned from discussing their culture or speaking their language. These schools were essentially there to whitewash kids and were often physically, emotionally and sexually abusive of their native students. These schools were open as late as the 1980s. Whole groups of people were victims of genocide on this continent. In no way should Jamestown be presenting those racist ideals as something good, something purifying for the settler. I don't think I'm stretching with the reading of this game. Jamestown, Roanoke, John Smith, Walter Raleigh, Victoria Dare, Joachim Gans are all real places and persons that participated in the actual colonisation process. I didn't put this reading on the game, Final Form Games did, by drawing so much attention to the imagery of American history present in Jamestown. I'm not opposed to playing a game where I am the bad guy, but it needs to be aware of it. Telling stories about awful people can be a great tool, but not when it comes out as shallow propaganda for something so destructive of so many lives. They can make Martian, the Martians look as alien as they like, but in this game they take the specific place of Native Americans and Jamestown has a shoot them like dogs. None of this makes the shooting of Jamestown any worse, the how of Jamestown if you will, but it sure does make the why of it different for me, to the point where I won't be picking this back up. It'll be interesting to see how any of this reads for you Brits across the pond. So much of our understanding of this stuff relies on how we know our own history, and I imagine you've all got very different understandings than us over here in the New World. Um, I just thought that was a, a fascinating post to sort of kick us off on discussing what the story of this game is and what it's trying to represent. I, I do have a lot of um, empathy for the uh, Native Americans, especially since I've worked with a few of them in my actual career as a mental health counselor and a lot of those uh, 
kind of scars from the past are still felt within the populations today. And so mm. I think, you know, when depicting this era of history, it's always good to err on the side of maybe even being too sensitive because a lot of these things are still uh, very deeply felt within those people. They were, they were badly wrong for a long time. Um, and maybe I wasn't doing as thorough of a reading of this game as I possibly could have, but I kind of, I, I came away with the idea that the Spanish were the real like bad guys who were just kind of like setting the uh, Native American stand-ins up for, you know, letting them take the blame for the ultimate Spanish wrongdoing. But um, either, either way, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin. They don't, they deserve a little bit better than to be depicted as pawns in somebody else's war as well. I, I'm probably conflicted on two fronts here because, you know, listening to that, I mean, that, that is very much an impassioned opinion. Um, it's obviously something that has got under, under his skin. Um, and there's nothing in there that I can say that probably isn't truthful. The, the problem I have with it is my reading of the story was it's kind of a bit of a dumb shooter story background. And that's not meant to come off as insensitive. Um, but maybe not having the foundation of the real history behind it mm. and kind of seeing it more face value as this kind of fun alternative history of um, the invasion of Mars rather than colonizing of the United States probably led me to believe or led me to kind of enjoy it more of a kind of just a bit of playful face value. Now that's not to say obviously that you know, his opinion is is not in, is invalid in any way because I feel like he's probably read it in a far grander way than me and you know to that it's probably you know there there's a lot more power there to me it was a kind of a bit of fun but almost in some regards entirely forgetful uh, forgetful behind the actual um, the gameplay itself so that, like I say that's not to come off as insensitive. One of the things this makes me think of is. Uh, it, this reads more kind of like a historical document from the time, like the journal entries of one person experiencing this conflict from their particular perspective. Mm -hmm. And it actually, it reminds me a lot of um, the Thrilling Adventure Hour. It's another podcast, a, a live show that's done in the style of kind of old time radio, um, radio dramas. Uh, but it's all, all comedy and stuff done by a, a talented team of comedians down in L.A., um, but they, they do a, a skit called, uh, what is it, Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, that plays with a lot of um, kind of old Western uh, genre tropes, but sets it on Mars and mm. uses a lot of, um, you know, perhaps kind of like backwards depictions of Native Americans as, you know, Native Martians also in that case. Mm. But it mm. feels appropriate because of the particular like genre and like period in art history that it's commenting upon like it sets itself up to be like a classic old western movie or something and mm. in that sense like it it fulfills that and it it draws attention to a lot of the ways that those movies got you know their depictions of other human beings incorrect by you know playing it up as parody i think one of the things that this game doesn't do quite as deftly is uh, come across as like satire or or parody or anything like that it doesn't it, mm. it's kind of sits somewhere in between telling a fun steampunk story and being like a little spoofy 
at times, um, you, and it's always kind of hard to tell what's serious or what's not. But you say that, but there, there's a setting that you can unlock in, in part of the mm, yep, you know, right. uh, credits. What's uh, what's it called? Anybody? Farce mode. Farce mode. Yes. Well, it, it, that literally, you know, it's like he goes to Mars to to you know reclaim his honor. Or there's just it's you know it breaks down I, I guess mm-hmm. the the conversation down to absolutely plain English like this is the story and it's and it's fun and it's and it's daft and you know I'm I'm not sure what it speaks about anything else whether they did have that you know that tongue and cheek well if yeah. if we were just following the route of um, your standards from up this is probably the story that would be told but maybe we'll we'll you know we'll make it a little bit deeper with our with our you know initial reading of it. The farce mode, though, I, I feel like could be applied to any game, and I don't want to look into that particular mode to get gain insights as to their no, um, their intentions in writing the main game, because you know they're setting off to make a to write a different story around the same cutscenes, essentially. And you know, it's like if uh, if Call of Duty Two had a farce mode where all of the dialogue was replaced with something that that just kind of subtly changed the the mood of the game, like it would still be you know, written in one way. And then that would just be kind of like a fun little side project that uh, mm. some of the writers thought would be a, a, a kooky addition. Simon, have you, have you got any thoughts on this uh, as far as your reading of the, the story as you played through? Uh, I guess I'm kind of aligned with Tony, really. I'm not mm. close enough being a Brit to this period of history. Mm. Um, so the way I read it was that it was kind of a bit of a, a fun romp. Um with lots of sort of playful interchanging of various types of uh, sort of steampunk imagery, sort of Western imagery, sci-fi imagery. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could look really look at it in a more profound way, but mm. um, for, for me, it was kind of just quite a quite a fun a fun old-fashioned romp. It was like watching an old movie from like the or old film from the you know thirties or forties, a kind of boy's own adventure. You know, yeah. and I think you know. I think when you're making a game, which is a you know, it's a shmup. It's basically about pummeling waves and waves of enemies, whether they be humans, robots, whatever, with bullets. You're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. No one's going to come off looking that great, really. However, you align the story. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, there are so many games that choose to use different historical backdrops that you know you could point the you know an accusatory finger out saying you know they've not really they're not really treated the you know the 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 audience from that part of the world with much um compassion but you know i'm i don't i don't want to poo poo um this reading of the story because obviously it's a it's, uh, it's quite a serious point it's making but um i don't think the makers of this game set out to try and push any kind of ideology onto anyone it was we like this the aesthetic of this period of history we think this will go really well with this what we're trying to do um i I just don't think there's anything nefarious at play here on the part of the developers in fact i mean but when you pick this james i i Uh thought that you know i mean looking at the the aesthetic the the title I and I thought it would be more than just a shmup with a you know a little bit of story. I thought maybe there would be a, something a lot deeper about this game. You know, knowing mm-hmm. you as a a person, um, yeah. and knowing your taste, I thought okay, well, this clearly has a really deep, intriguing story. And once it started kicking <laughs> off, I was like, okay, uh, this is probably why James has picked this beyond it, the, you know the gameplay. 
and I got, I gotta be honest. I mean, to me, there's there wasn't enough in there to actually dig my teeth into. There's mm-hmm. a dozen screens, you know, each with I don't know two dozen sets of words uh, telling the story. Just and it feels yeah. more like an, an outline of a grander project than you know, almost like I was maybe expecting something about our correspondence there. You know, a, a little something a little bit more deeper, a little bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of it is just face value. There's you know, there's obviously a lot that can be read in there, but I, I maybe came away from it expecting a lot more knowing your taste. Um, ironically, what I came away of actually really enjoying the game, um, <laughs> which I wasn't necessarily expecting. So, yeah, like I say, not not to kind of, you know, look down of what he was saying, but I think some of those points are, are very personal. Um, and the retelling of history has always been fairly black and white, one side versus the other. Um, and I don't think this necessary needs to be singled out as as one that is that is you know leaning too far one way. I think if you look at the genre as a whole, this is probably one of the more slicker examples of storytelling in you know uh, mm. in that sort of oeuvre. But this, but yeah, I mean it's fairly it's fairly superficial in the grand scheme of things. This was part of the reason that I that I picked this game. I've got to say. Even on my first playthrough, it took it took until I I picked this this game up again, um, sort of a month ago to really start to see a, a lot of what Owen mentioned, and I had done a lot of uh, just reading on Wikipedia. I'm not suggesting I've done any deep background study, anything like that. I just wanted to know how much of this was supposed to be reflective of actual real world events, um, but. Even on my first playthrough, when a lot of this was, it had, obviously had the feeling, a, a sense of a certain amount of authenticity about it in terms of using real events and real people. Sir Walter Raleigh's name pops up and you think, okay, there must be something to this because that's a real historical figure. He never seemed like a hero to me. You get the sense that he is very selfish. He's in it for his own reasons. He's doing just enough to get what he wants out of the situation. And it's not until you start playing on the higher difficulties and unlock the last two uh, levels that you get a sense of there being some kind of redemption for him seems an odd way to put it, uh, given we don't really know what he did. But uh, he, he stops trying to use the people around him to get his own way. Uh, but nonetheless, he, he did not. He did not ever seem like a hero to me. Then, when I was playing through the second time, and I started to read up on the history of all this, and you start to realise what it means that the Martians are there as an indigenous population, and the the Brits are there, shown in the first place to be, oh, our, our settlements are being attacked, and isn't it awful, and our people are being killed. When you don't actually then necessarily, or I didn't on first blush, stop and think about how how the Brits settled this planet in the first place. Mm. Um, there is some notion that the Spaniards have awakened the Martian natives uh, and they are going so far through the mines that they end up awakening um, the the final heart of Mars boss. And so if I was being generous, I might say perhaps the native Martians I can't even say weren't massacred for the Brits to settle because that sounds like I'm excusing real world events and that's not what I mean. It's just uh, if the heart of Mars is dormant, is it possible the rest of the Martians were dormant and the way that this is supposed to be pitched is as the Spaniards antagonizing a a dormant species into disposing of an an incoming uh, settling 
uh, group of individuals. But and the problem with all of that is, even as I'm saying it, I realise that if someone takes what I'm saying there and applies it to the uh, European settling of of the mm-hmm. Americas, that that sounds reprehen- that sounds such a, <laughs> a, a reprehensible thing to say. It sounds like I'm I'm trying to apologise for or or brush under the carpet awful actions, and that's not what I mean. It's just I don't think this game story was supposed to be taken literally the fact that they then decided to use very literal persons and literal events and literal places uh to form the backbone of this story is at best incredibly unfortunate uh at worst you would you would have to know what the the intent of the of the 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 game makers was because what what I don't want to say is this seems like it's making some kind of political statement about that because I don't know what their intentions were. So I mean that's what Owen's post is alluding to that you know maybe they've set out to have an agenda and I and I I don't know. I mean I guess we'll we'll never know, but I prefer the the more gentler reading that you know they wanted a, a kooky story in the background mm-hmm. and that may be simplifying it far too much. But um that I mean from somebody that just you know isn't up on that kind of history that's the way it came across undoubtedly this game as owen uh, so deftly put has problems if the story is is treated as seriously as as it can be treated there's no doubt that that all of the reading that he made into the story is there to be made whether or not the uh, the developers, when they wrote the story, intended it, or whether they just looked for a Western style setting, uh, the Western genre, I mean, not Western in terms of geographically, um, that would give a certain amount of grandeur to their setting, their story. It also gave them uh, a nice uh, steampunk setting to have. And one of the the touchstones that uh, the the developers mentioned are the um, some of the Studio uh, Ghibli films. And again, they they take real world settings, uh, not necessarily specific events or anything, but certainly real world settings, and and then add the f- the fantastical elements into them. In in many cases, um, certainly in in the cases of a couple of the the films specifically that they they mentioned, and I think there's an aspect of them trying to do that here, and it's maybe at best it, it's unfortunate that. It it does raise questions about what what the ending of this game being the the quote, the Brits quote unquote win uh, and and essentially from the perspective of Owen and and a, a, me reading it as well massacre a, a native population in order to have their moment where they effectively ride off into the sunset um, it definitely is problematic and and I and I do agree with with uh, you Tony and, and Simon in that. I don't think the story was meant to be read that literally. I think it literally was, here is a setting that works for the aesthetic we want to have, the sort of game we want to have, and let's make it a little bit more uh, involved, a little bit more interesting than your average um, shmup story. Uh, Let's bring it to the fore a bit more. It's also worth saying, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, Tony, you were quite right to defer to Ryan. The first instance, he knows much more about this than any of I think you, I, or Simon would admit to know, um, or w- would be able to sort of express. Uh, but none of us are uh, are of anything remotely close to Native American or any indigenous right. population. Uh, you know, it, it's worth saying we're all coming from this. Three of us from a British 
white perspective and and ryan from a from a, an american white perspective so but i have to thank owen for the post because it's the absolutely. kind of post we absolutely adore on gainer it's you know mm-hmm. it's impassioned yeah. it has a strong opinion for sure but um one that is certainly well informed um and, and backs uh, up that opinion yeah. yeah and you know if nothing else it's it certainly gave me pause of thought and <laughs> to, to go back to the game and, and kind of rediscover something a little bit more deeper maybe than the kind of the skim reading I maybe initially gave it. I certainly was uh, thoroughly interested in in Owen's post and and what I then read before and after around around this. Um, I, I hope also uh, those of you who've been interested in what we've had to say will excuse uh, the fact that we're now going to go on and tackle the more um, mechanical aspects of uh, the, the story and beyond. Um, but uh, we're now going to talk about the shmup for the shmup's sake and what how the story plays out mechanically. Uh, and a bit about the way the game looks and feels. So, in terms of levels, the game is broken up into five levels with uh, five bosses and five arms of the story, I suppose. Walter Raleigh arrives on Mars and is is thrust straight into the, the East Frontier, whereupon there is a British, set, a British group of soldiers uh, in battle with Martian and possibly Spanish forces. But nonetheless, you're, you're fighting off the forces and you encounter the Traitor Prince boss. Then after that, the story... So Raleigh is then uh, sent by John Smith uh, in a direction of the Dark Sector looking for Roanoke, which he finds and finds there the Lady of the Lake, again bringing in uh, a mythological aspect to this story that, that does speak to this the sort of fantasy that they wanted to portray, I think. Uh, at which point you meet or rally meets Virginia Dare, the last survivor of of Roanoke, um, who agrees to return with Rally to England to clear his name, uh, but only in exchange for his help in freeing her father, uh, Joachim, um, from the the flying prison that is the boss dead sentry. Uh, then it becomes apparent that so uh, Joachim talks of uh, a mining town of New Madrid and that the Spanish uh, forces are uh, doing unspeakable things there. Um, so you, you head there and fight the conquistador on the last express, who then flies away to uh, Croatoa, where it turns out that the mining and uh, other explorations of the, the Spanish uh, at the behest of the conquistador, have awakened the heart of Mars, um, which are the fi- they are the final two bosses of the um, of the game. Hopefully, that talks a little bit about the story through the game and a bit of the kind of uh, as I say more fantastical elements of it. But what that does, I think, is set up a canvas to our art and and visuals, which, as I mentioned, are very much sixteen bit. Uh, inspired and and excuse me representative uh metal slug i think came to mind for me as a game that this looks particularly like how did you guys uh, feel about the the look of the game particularly the explosions are very metal slug like yeah uh, i think when i first played this in 2011 i don't Mm. think the whole retro pixel art thing had been done to death by that point (laughs) uh um so it's, i kind of thought it was like quite a cool little homage to uh the sort of uh, the shmups that inspired it um yes i think it's got a, a real it reminds me it's like pro gear which is the one that the developers the cave shmup that the developers referenced yeah. 
Yeah, um, but also the first um, Bug Princess game as well. It's got a similar kind of feel to that. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, I I think it's a, I think it's a really really smart looking game. I think it's very, hmm. very polished looking. I like the in-game visuals. I think the animation's very clear, even though there's a lot happening all at once. It's really hmm. easy to keep track of everything that's happening at once, um, hmm. which is it gets particularly trying when you have a second player on the screen as well but um the the enemy ships are all very uh very creatively designed like it's easy Mm. to tell them all apart even though there's a lot of um even though there is consistency in their design like it feels like they are all a part of the same army but they are immediately recognizable as well which is excellent and great They've taken like you know, inspiration for something like Ikaruga. I, I feel like at times it doesn't have a real, real identity to itself. You know, with that obviously it's playing with colours. Um, because this has maybe more of a a natural background. That is a case of Mars, but yeah, you know, more of a kind of organic nature to the, the scenes rather than like this big space opera. Um, mm. At times, you know, it did exactly that. It blended a little bit into the background whilst I was actually just kind of more bullet watching. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's easier to to kind of, you know, look at the levels on, on lower difficulty levels. Um, obviously, you can't do that towards the back end of the game. But, you know, when I once I'd completed the game and, and went back and was just messing around on, on easier settings, I could actually appreciate what was trying to, you know, take me down. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting look. I, I, but I don't think it's an absolute stellar look. I think it, yeah. it has a, a feel, but it... You know, it's not something that I'm. I, I'll take away as completely and utterly memorable. I have to admit. Yeah, I, I found the bosses quite memorable. I thought some of those were really cool. Um, yeah. Thought the spider and the moth were particularly good. Um, uh, and I, I think is it the. Um, I think when you fight the last boss on Mars as well, I thought that one was really memorable. With the kind of it's almost like almost like a galleon that sort mm-hmm. of comes apart. That's cool. Yeah. And I thought that was really good. Um, I think like I've played a lot of shmups over the years, and you kind of get jaded by the, you know, the the, the tropes that genre throws up. So it was yeah. Yeah. it was nice to see the the, the whole the, the kind of the Sp- Spanish conquistador element and um, thrown into the mix. Because I mean, steampunk's been fairly done to death in video games as mm. well. So this I thought was quite a nice spin on it. The the developers particularly talked about that steampunk aesthetic and the notion of the uh, mechanical futurism, and and they were going for something. Uh, so Pro Gear and Metal Slug we've mentioned as video game touchstones, but um, the the two Ghibli films that they mentioned were Laputa Castle in the Sky and uh, Nosca Valley of the Wind of the Valley of the Wind, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and those those were particular design touchstones in terms of the way the game looks that they were going for. Um, and I've got to say, I, I did, I did get that in the way that it's not, as you were saying, Simon, it's not steampunk in an overbearing way necessarily, but it, it's taking the core of that and just doing something a bit more light with it. Um, I mean, yes, they've got the ground tanks and and they've got all sorts of other going going ons, and you're flying about on these. Uh, I, I can't remember for the life of me of what what they're called, but um, these airborne sort of. Uh, skiff type things you know you're skimming mm. along the uh slightly above the ground uh sort of uh speeder bikes but done out into uh something something slightly more like a, as i say a skiff um 
But yeah, I, I definitely felt uh, a, a certain amount of why they would point to uh, those two Ghibli films as as inspirations. So, is that something you thought of when you when you saw the game at all? Yeah, I t- yes. I mean, it certainly you know it wasn't something I, I drew upon through playing it. I mean, mm. Now, you know, reading through the notes and you listen it, I can certainly see an inspiration there. Yeah, but um, it's certainly not a a replica of that. Um, oh no, actually, no, no, some sure. some of this might be just through my my lack of engagement with the genre in total. I mean, it it seemed you know interesting, but not necessarily completely different. But actually, you know, if it may be like Simon, if, if I had played this this genre to death over the you know the many years, this probably would be a a, a much more fresher take on a mm. uh, a genre. Where I'm maybe I went into it expecting a lot more kind of space battles, etc. Um, which which is genre is obviously known a lot more for. Um, so the the other part of this that I mentioned earlier, it's a it's a sixteen bit game with a with a very sort of uh, a very nostalgic uh, graphical style uh, and very particular western steampunk overtones, but the music is not like that at all. Uh, it really wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, it's perhaps more akin to certainly western genre but from from films i mean it's an orchestral score uh and and it definitely stood out to me as something more than i was expecting i think um how did you guys feel about about the music um i i agree it was quite different from a lot of the sort of classic shmups that you play whereas yeah. you tend to got, get this sort of driving metal music or yes sort or of very high, high energy dance music yeah. this felt more like a jrpg soundtrack um, mm-hmm. With the sort of the sweeping orchestral score, um, and it gave it a really epic feel, yeah. um, which I think ties into the feeling that I got that it was kind of a bit of this sort of boy's own adventure, like a like an old mm-hmm. film. Um, and I found it really refreshing. At first, I thought this is a bit weird. It doesn't because usually, like with a soundtrack to a shmup, you really want it to sort of get the blood pumping and definitely you know, yeah, get you get you in the zone. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. this kind of gave it gave it a sort of different feel to other shmups so I'm a big fan I think I'm a big fan of it hmm. I think the only piece that really stood out to me from the soundtrack was that jaunty little tune that plays at the end of every level <laughs> and usually the fact that it comes like it cuts right in after the big dramatic boss music and it just sounds like uh, like too frivolous for the occasion it was very it was very popcast wasn't it it was <laughs> like playing Peggle it was yeah, like yeah. yes I've beaten yes. it <laughs> It, yeah. it, it it was definitely uh, a, a moment of relief that you'd you'd finally uh, defeated the level because I don't know about you guys but it it took me often multiple playthroughs to to get through each each level uh, sometimes many many playthroughs just getting to the boss each time and and not quite making it through so as, as a general whole though I I really really like the music um there was a few in there that I was I was thinking we this needs to be on the sound of play yeah. <laughs> this is, I mean the, the end tune very much in particular but. Like I said, it, it felt very much, as, as Simon said, it was like this RPG score that was, I don't know if it was necessarily out of place, but it, it was you know certainly engaging. Um, I think it also helps that the levels themselves are, are pretty short. Um, yeah, they are. So, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll probably hear them multiple times, but they're, they're constructed in a way that they're, they're flowing enough with the gameplay. They don't, they don't jar against the gameplay. No. But you don't. They don't get on your nerves at the back end of it. So, 
Um, some are certainly better than others, and I said the, the, the final piece in particular was, I think, you know, was really I, I found quite motivating actually to beat them, and that's the level I struggled with the most. Mm. And um, I found that you know, like some some games, I always found if you turn the you know the sound off, it helps you concentrate. But I actually found that the opposite. I needed the sound to, to engage. So you know, I, I really liked the music, and it was actually quite a surprise and something I wasn't expecting from this type of game. Yeah, no, I, I can only echo that. It certainly um, stood out for the right reasons, I think. So now we get on to what I think probably most of us playing and talking about a shmup would have expected to talk about for <laughs> the vast majority of this of this show, uh, which is the mechanics, the combat. Uh, this is, as we've mentioned, the shoot 'em up um, just because it's not something we, we necessarily cover all that much, but when we do, we kind of like to... Uh, to dig our teeth in quite significantly. Um, Volume 3, issue 112, we talked about Cave Shooters, uh, Cave being the developer of a massive number of incredible uh, shooters. Um, Some of the the games we mentioned were uh, Death Smiles, Dodonpachi, Mm -hmm. uh, Espagluda, and Mushihima-sama. Various different ones of each of those, because some of those are series rather than individual games. Um, relevant as as a, a twin stick shooter as it happens but nonetheless relevant to this discussion i think although it's certainly not a bullet hell or manic uh, schmuck by any stretch uh, volume four issue 188 was the geometry wars series um and i put this in here not because it's uh, a shoot 'em up certainly not in in this vein um but recently volume five issue one 221 uh, sorry uh, we talked about Treasure's Gunstar Heroes, and I just put that in here because Treasure is is a name that, alongside Cave, anyone who is fond of shmups is going to know and, and probably be pretty fond of as well. So um, not pertinent necessarily to this discussion, but certainly the p- pertinent as uh, looking back at the games of uh, a company that are known and loved for their shmups. Um, so this is uh, Bullet Hell, which is or Manic, as Simon, you said, uh, which is particularly typified by the massive number of on-screen projectiles uh, and the fact that in order to survive them, generally what you're doing is weaving yourself through uh, this um, almost fractal-like pattern of bullets on the screen, um, just trying to survive uh, long enough to to, to kill the enemies. Um and this one, they tend to come in two flavors, horizontally and vertically scrolling. Uh, and this one is is vertically. Um, and, and there tends to be a certain expectation of what that's going to entail as far as um, gameplay is. And, and therefore, the wrinkles come in, which sort of uh, special mechanics are placed on top of that. Um, it's also worth saying that the other thing about uh, bullet hell shmups tends to be that although you will have an avatar on screen at all times and you can kind of move around anywhere, uh, often there will be an indicator on that avatar uh, in the form of a, a, a glowing dot or, or some kind of visual representation of what your hitbox actually is so that you know exactly which part of your uh, ship or person or broomstick or whatever it is you happen to be riding, uh, you have to weave through the bullets. Um in this case, the special attacks come down to the ship that you're using, and I'd be interested to know for, for each of you guys if you had a particular <laughs> ship that you favoured. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Tony. <laughs> uh, now I've forgotten the name. Um, it's the second one. It's the one with the uh, the beam that you can fire in different directions. It's so not mm. the charge beam, the second one. 
the the gunner where you can yeah press this <laughs> special button in a direction and it'll fire off yes a which, sort of arc of which um, i never did um <laughs> i know this just sounds ridiculous because it's special move is that you can aim um well essentially i mean the first ship you have um you have a, a massive charge beam which shoots out a big projectile of energy yep. towards the front shoots all things in you know in in front of you mm. um so the idea of the, the the second one which is very similar but you can direct it in any way you wish mm-hmm. um i found that really hard to pull off with any kind of real yeah. consistency but mm-hmm. i found actually maybe it's because i'm i'm you know maybe a little newer to to this kind of genre anyway but i found that if i'm controlling the ship i want to know exactly you know like i'm controlling the the bullets, I guess. If I move left, mm-hmm. I move right. Then that's the direction as the bullets going, and I can't fathom how to shoot two ways at once. <laughs> I know that sounds dreadful, but that's the yeah. way my brain was working in, in this game. But I just found it it did the most damage um, with that setup. So um, I did experiment with many of the ships. For I, I did, I haven't played the the extra content, so I didn't have access to the extra ships. Mm. But the four standard ones. Um, I, I just I just kept coming back to that that one ship and found it the, the easiest to control. Um, it's a little bit faster than some. Did a lot of damage and it, I could really just then concentrate on getting my I guess the avatar in the perfect place whilst dodging the bullets yeah. on the screen whilst doing the maximum of damage. Um, there was a couple of times um, with bosses where it came in handy because I could actually direct um, you know, two sets of fires between two sets of bosses' shields. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, it, it seemed to be, you know, relatively, um, you know, I don't know, more useful. But I, I definitely, um, yeah, I, I, I concentrated on that, that second ship for sure. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll just chip in to say exactly the same. Um, it, it seemed very counterintuitive that, uh, because you're only using a single analog stick or D-pad, or or if, if you happen to be using keyboard, you're only using one set of directional keys to control your movement. There's no camera control or anything like that. So mm. um, in order to change the direction of your second stream, the sort of arcing bullets uh, for the, the gunner ship, um, you, you can't... If I was going to change direction, it would always end up in the direction I was moving and and stopping <laughs> your movement long enough to change the bullets in the direction you want it to then go back to your... It, it just seemed like that was that was uh, uh, rubbing my stomach, batting my head too many for me. Uh, so I did exactly the same as you did, Tony, uh, and ignored the special attack button altogether and just took that ship on the basis that I can concentrate on dodging bullets and knowing that all of my bullets that i'm i'm spitting out are going straight up the screen and whatever it is that's there is going to die faster as long as i can get in line than with any other ship that i'm using um the the beam uh, special attack for the first ship that you get is great but it slows you down which means you need to be very very careful of using that uh, mm. the other ship that does that um is the treason ship where when you're charging your homing missiles you start moving very slowly and then when you let go to fire those you move very quickly which meant that i was i was tracking my movement for one speed to dodge between two bullets and then as i lifted off say to to fire my homing rockets suddenly i'd speed up and just go flying straight into one of the enemy bullets and uh i I found it very difficult to cope with um that two speed movement uh that you would get with with particularly uh, the beam ship and the treason ship. Um, I have to say as well, so the, yeah. the game is set up in in a way that uh, this will be on the lower difficulty levels for sure. But mm-hmm. um, 
the a lot of say if you're shooting on the left hand side of the screen clearing with you know the projectiles towards you not mm. too much is coming from the right hand side to interfere with you um yeah. obviously later levels that's not quite the case but sure, for the majority yeah. of the game it, it seems that it's a, a mechanic that um was certainly viable and one that i fell into um back end of the game it became less viable and thus it, it took <laughs> one or two more attempts to to beat yeah. certainly the final mm. level but uh i mean yeah i'd be fascinated to know if anyone else used the the variations of ships i i think that the the gunner ship was the one that a lot of like pro players go for because it does allow you to shoot in two places at once essentially yeah. but i i liked the beam ship the most um mm-hmm. for my playthrough just because I felt like I had a viable, you know, single fire option whenever I needed it. it it's mm-hmm. it's standard bullets were they'd get the job done. But then I, I kind of liked slowing down when I fired that big, powerful beam because it made it feel <laughs> like even exactly. more Moment. substantial, like like a little <laughs> yeah. Death Star beam or something. And I knew that whenever <laughs> I set that thing off, like I was kind of committing to it. And I it, it just felt like this is going to just tear through the yeah. enemy ships. Yeah, you carve through anything with that yeah. pretty in pretty short order, aside from bosses, but you, even the weak spots on them. So, Simon, you're about to tell us all that we're idiots and we're using the wrong <laughs> ship. Go on. No, no, not not at all. I mean, I actually preferred the beam ship over mm-hmm. the others because it's, I guess, familiarity, really. It's the archetypal um, cave yes. yeah. ship A spacecraft in that it's got the nice Type 1 fire, which has Spread. a nice... Yeah. It does a nice area of damage, and then you've got the second one, which is kind of like your uh, sort of super shot. Um, although I did find that I was using the second shot quite a lot. I didn't find that there was enough nuance in the types of enemies to mm-hmm. really benefit any particular um, weapon other than using the strongest one you've got, which happened to be the second shot. Mm. If you play a lot of... Um, the, the classic cave shooters, um, you find that there are certain enemies which are only you can only really use one type of beam on, uh, yeah. and it becomes very mm. tactical. Whereas this, I felt it didn't quite have that level of sophistication. Um, mm. But what I did like is that the each ship was suitably different, and if you mm. play it on a multi sort of multiplayer, uh, find that they they all complement each other in different ways. And I know we're probably going to get onto the vaunt. Um, mechanic, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but that really came alive in multiplayer. I've only done it a couple of times, but um, yeah, because you can all you can all work off others, each other's shields, um, which is it seems it seems really like a really nice uh, benefit to playing in multiplayer. Yeah, I mean, it has it's the classic mechanic of every time you kill an enemy, you collect um, their cogs, aren't they? Cogs, and yeah, it's, it's cogs rings. and, and uh, nuts, yeah, yeah, and that builds up a power bar, which once it's full, you can activate the vaunt, and that creates a almost like a, a bubble which t- turns any bullet that hits it to um a score and then you get a big score multiplier at the end yeah. and like any classic dan maku shooter or manic shooter it's about maximizing when you use that vaunt skill yeah. so you want to yeah. save it for the, the enemies or the bosses that shoot waves and waves of red bullets yeah. to get and, the maximum and, score. And you can keep that going obviously uh, with, with this game it's very very set and it should be with all uh, manic shooters but in this one in particular it's very set enemy patterns so once you've played through a level once uh, and even on higher difficulties largely mm. the number of enemies doesn't change that much. There are odd instances where it does. Mostly it it's the number of bullets. I mean my, my general feeling about the game mm. um, sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent is yeah, that no, it's no. kind of a 
it's kind of a gateway game. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's how Carcassonne is to to yeah. to board yes. games. It's yeah. it's your route into the into the style or the genre. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a there aren't too many levels. They're quite short levels, and the thing with bullet hell shooters is about memorizing attack patterns. Bullet, yeah. you know, the patterns that the bullets form. And knowing where you should be on the screen, rather than just like, "Whoa, I've got to get out of the way, got to get out of the way." Yeah. It's about ha- plotting your your route through the level, and I think mm. this is really good in that sense because it's it sort of eases you into the genre. And one of the mm. other things that it does is that it gives you multiple difficulty levels and multiple ships, which each require a certain extra degree of um, specialism. So you end up with this really nice, smooth difficulty curve that starts off being pretty tame like when you play it on the really low difficulty settings mm-hmm. it's not i don't think it's that great an example of the genre but as you sort of crank it up it actually becomes quite a, quite a tidy little yeah. title it's, it's quite a smart game it's interesting that you say that side because this was one of those ones where i you know, i was like have i made the right choice being on this show <laughs> because like i say it's a genre that i you know traditionally have, have avoided um for a long time purely because of that because everything i played and, and i've tried all the what i called the staples because you know that's what you do when you're you're really into games you know even if you yeah. can't complete stuff you you want to see what the conversation is you know to to broaden your you know horizons of gaming and mm. but I, I found stuff like ikaruga you know not impenetrable but hard and thus not completable in the end or there's enough of me that's like okay well i think i know what this title is about um not necessarily going to put like the 50 hours into to get superb at this to see it all the way through where jamestown was the opposite of that like you say it was very tame to start with and there was a there was a part of me that was rather smug i was did the first level on normal of course (laughs) because why would i pick a higher difficulty level i'm just gonna go in at normal and breeze through it and was like of course i am this is a genre i'm great at all of a sudden <laughs> and went to the second level did the same smug look on my face went to the third level it went you can't play this on normal you need to play this on hard and i went oh, pardon um <laughs> and then tried it on hardcore um and i think to unlock the next level thereafter you have to play all three levels on hardcore mm-hmm. um so I went back to the first level again, started on hardcore, um, and understood how the patterns started to change, how you know more more challenge on the screen, etc. But navigated it in a fairly kind of straightforward session and, and did that with all three levels and thought, okay, well, this game has challenged me to improve my my own skill set. Fair enough. Well, of course, the next level you had to be to every level on the higher difficulty again. And thus I ran through the entire game again on the higher difficulty (laughs) level. And it got up to the final level where you're doing everything on the higher difficulty again. And, you know, there was was a a clear progress and arc towards somebody that wasn't necessarily into this genre and actually could appreciate the you know the complexity of what was being handed to me and a, a kind of more gentle approach and it wasn't just straight off well you're either do or die here it was i'm gonna hold your hand and the final the final level i found particularly challenging they they add a whole load of new mechanics um moving areas a lot more stuff on screen to navigate um and i i tried to just brute force my way through it and after about 10, 15 attempts, realized that that wasn't going to happen. And I had to go back to the earlier stuff and kind of study the, you know, the setup 
and really understand how Vought came into play. Um, and it was, you know, at the, at the end, it, my wife had to laugh because she was <laughs> sitting across the room from me. I jumped out my chair, punched the air and said, yes, I've done it. <laughs> and I beat the game. And it was, you know, I beat the game on whatever the, you know, for like the fourth hardest difficulty level, because that's the one you had to. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there was a real sense of progression and achievement and, you know, um, you know, moving forward. And it's, it's one of those ones where if the game wasn't as, you know, forgiving at the very start, then I may have just rebounded off it like many others. So to, to say it's like one of those gateway games, it, it certainly is. And it's it's one that's got me, you know, scratching to go back in my back catalogue on the 360 um, and re-experiencing some of those games like off XBLA and and see if, um you know, I can look at those in a deeper way. Yeah, and, and I think that's the secret here is with a lot of shmups that start in the arcade, obviously they're built around a system of, Every time you're going to continue, you're putting another credit in. You're you're paying money essentially, and so the home versions tend to just be the the challenge is like the game's the same difficulty all the way through. Whatever the challenge is, reducing the number of continues it takes for you to be able to complete the game. Mm -hmm. And obviously, ideally, you want to be able to do it without having to continue at all. Whereas in this, it's set up much more as a home console or home uh, you know experience uh, on the PC because. They say to you, no, you only get two continues. And then you, for, for each continue, including at the very beginning, you get three hits. So you've got two hearts on the screen and those go. And then the next time, you die, next time you're hit, you have to use continue. Um, so it demands a certain level to get through each of the levels, but they then have difficulty settings. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because rather than just throw all the bullets at you and just say, no, you're just going to have to keep banging your head against this. They do allow you to toggle that difficulty, which I think is good. And the vauntability, uh, Simon, I think you were, you were absolutely spot on about that. It's not a, it's apparent that it gives you one massive uh, shield and then you can either just let it run and get a score or you can trigger it again and get a smaller shield um, to end that vaunt period. Um, and, and you're quite right. So at the beginning, it's just, well... I need a shield because I can't get through these bullets. Mm -hmm. But as you get further in, what you start to do is pick your moment to use it. And you start to see how long you can get that vaunt to mm -hmm. run. Because as you're collecting more cogs, uh, more gold, essentially, through through your vaunt period, Opposite. it extends. It refills yeah. your meter and, and keeps it going. And you can keep that going for long periods. But because the enemies are set, you're not going to be able to keep it going indefinitely, which is what, Simon, you were mentioning about picking your moment and it becomes about score once you've attained the the level of ability or the, or the level of expertise with the systems to survive, it then becomes about score. And there is that tipping moment where it's like, okay, I've got on this difficulty, I've got to the point where survival's not the challenge anymore, it's getting the score. Um, and that in turn gets you more uh, gold to spend in the shop to unlock more ships, to unlock uh, the highest difficulty level and to unlock some of the challenge levels and, and some other stuff, especially in the there, PS4 version. But, there's also a, a you know more of a tactical point of quite often when you when you're in the vault mode and um, you've got you know a lot more powerful shots, yeah. you can clear stuff you know a lot higher up on the screen and you know a lot of stuff will be one hit kills etc. And that's and that's really good. But there's certain times you play the level two or three times, you know 
that actually you want that to run out, that there will be a point where something will go off with a massive bullet attack and you need the, yeah. the vault and shield. You, you, you want to have a roughle refilled yeah. and you're, when you, you get know, to a boss generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, was, there was times when you know, I, I was avoiding the coins, so I'd come yeah. out the, the, you know, the, the extra vault state yeah. to, to get a shield because I'd know I'd need the shield going forward, which is, yeah. you know, in the fact that the levels are so short helps because it's not 20 minutes into a level one and repeating it's two minutes into a level one and understanding how the uh the game's going to present it but i mean i've, I've watched a few youtube runs of you know people playing on the high, the highest difficulty levels and yeah once again my brain can't even understand <laughs> it's like people playing yeah, yeah. through the fire and flames on expert rock band or something it's just it's yeah it's, yeah. it's yeah. too too much for, for me to, <laughs> to even contemplate but it means it's there for people yeah, I do like that it kind of leads you up the garden path a little bit as far as that's concerned, where it just it asks you to do not the whole thing all at once, just little bit, little bit, little bit, up the difficulty, try again, up the difficulty, try again. Now start realising Vaunt's about more than just having a shield. It's a tactical thing. Um, start realising, because there's a tooltip that tells you uh, every enemy has a special kill, um, and some of them are, are just you're not going to, work out how to unlock necessarily straight away but um they have special kills where let's say you've got a group of four enemies you have to kill the three smaller ones and then you kill the bigger one and mm. you get more gold for it and it pops up special kill you get a bigger score um and it again it adds that extra gold which is going to be important to keeping your vaunt charged uh, but it's also going to be important when it gets to score attack uh, and on the challenge levels equally that's going to become uh, there's one of them in, in particular where you're in, a, in the train yard and you have to kill the enemies, the different parts of the enemy in certain order to be able to get the bonus and you have to run your vaunt all the way through it to get the high score that you need for that challenge. So it's got this extra depth to it, but it doesn't ask you to just understand or uh, deal with all of that at once. It, it sort of, lead, as I, I say, leads you up the garden path. i got to say, it, so. I, I felt the hit detection of my actual ship was... I'd never really knew if I'd been hit at all. Like It was, it felt like mm. non-existent. It was occasionally <laughs> I would blow up and go, okay, did I... Like You would know because you just <clears> run into a, a group of bullets. But quite often yeah. I, I'd feel like I could ha happily move through singular shot bullets, not really feel it, like it's doing much damage, yet one might. I, you know, it, it never really... Yeah, you know, I felt like it got that across to the player. It's got quite a generous hitbox, I think. The hitbox is <laughs> okay. tiny on the, in this game, which is mm. I'm is not that complaining normal? about. Uh, you, it depends, really, it what sort of game yeah. it is. Yeah. I think this is. Um, I think it's quite quite generous in this one, and yeah. it's it is really really minuscule. Because um, I know what you mean. There were some some sometimes I, was, I felt like a god. I was just like <laughs> cutting through these waves of bullets, and I thought. Uh, and I realised it was just because the hitbox is so small. I think if you if you, when you do the tutorial right at the beginning, um, it gives you an example of that. And I was, when I played that, I thought, oh, this is this is this is good. This isn't going to be too uh, so too brutal. Like absolute centre of ship. If it goes through the front of your ship, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's basically the the your, it's Walter's head. It's a hat. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. The hat he's wearing oh, wow. pretty much. Yeah, but but as as I mentioned earlier, they they don't in this game give you that glowing dot because in, in a lot of certainly uh i think i'm right in saying cave do this in in a lot of their their games um they actually give you a glowing part on the ship that you're you're navigating yeah. and that's your hitbox and it stands out so you don't even have to like the backdrop in this game you were saying tony you just see the bullets 
you don't have to pay attention to your avatar. You're just looking at that dot. I get that dot through these dots and I shoot that, you know, um, and, and it just comes down to a very mechanical uh, way of, of playing how, it. But, how, how did we all play? Is it controller generally? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm on, on PC. I play, I've got an arcade stick, so I use that. Whereas PS4, I used a controller. Yeah. Yeah, I, I um, actually switched. I had been uh, playing it with a Xbox One controller, but I've got a Hori Fighting Commander pad, and uh, the D-pad on it is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I, I played with that. Yeah, uh, the, I find that... The ability that... to rebind buttons was great as well, because it meant I could yeah. stick stuff on triggers rather than needing to yeah. roll my thumb around the four face buttons. Yeah, I find that shmups always, uh, tend to be better with either a, an arcade stick or something yeah. that's yeah. designed to ape that. Just feels right. It feels they're more binary in the, the number of directions you can go in. Analog analog can be a bit bit woolly at times. Yeah, I I, I played the Xbox One pad. I, the the reason I I bring it up is that I mm. I didn't have it synced for for a second, so I thought I'll try the controls of the mouse, um, <laughs> and maybe it's like the correspondence between using the mouse around the screen, which is like some of like first person shooters, is pixel perfect. And mm. there was. With a controller, there's there's an inbuilt lag between going left and right, and it's all kind of felt like sure. that in the stick. Where the mouse going left and right, it felt like the ship was incapable of keeping up with where I wanted it to go. It felt mm. completely wrong. Um, mm. I lasted two levels and went no, mm-hmm. no, this is this is the wrong input device. Um, yeah, just yeah, I'm, I haven't played the, the keyboard, so I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure that would be better, but the mouse is definitely not the way to go. So we've we've already mentioned that uh, playing on normal difficulty, you can't unlock all the stages and you kind of need to build up to that. But um, you're not the first person I've heard, and I was in the same boat, Tony, say that the, the problem that leads to is by the time you're playing the last level, it's not the third time you're playing that last level uh, on the third different difficulty. You just go straight in at legendary difficulty, and it seems like an incredible difficulty spike yeah. because you've probably played through the previous four levels on two or three difficulties. So you, several times to, to be able to complete them as well often. Um, whereas it just drops you on that final level. Legendary just says, that's the one point at which it just says, no, this is how good you have to be. There is no building up to this. You've just got to do this, which um, I don't know how you guys felt uh, on the whole. Well, but until I, I built certainly it, heard. I beat it, I thought it was entirely unfair. I, have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got over yeah. that once yeah. I beat it. It it, it seems um, a challenge for sure, and like I said, it's the hardest mm-hmm. level anyway. Um, yeah. But I, yeah. I mean, I do wonder if, if like, so I, did you jump into this on legendary right off the off go? And like, well, I'm familiar with these shooters, and it turned out to be a what a, a half an hour experience at most where you know no, I, I uh, took the best part of four hours because i was playing it over and over again no. not at all i mean i I think i started on i didn't start on the, the normal one i started on difficult mm-hmm. um and quickly realized that i needed to jump up a level mm-hmm. um i mean the thing is with these style, styles of games is that it, they're designed to be played over and over again it's about repetition mm-hmm. it's a score and attack think, often as well yeah, yeah. i think the sort of this probably reason the sort of genre is not popular anymore is it kind of at odds with what modern video game audience expect from a game which is progression steady progression and you know moving from point a to point b whereas these games uh you know they're they've got sort of an arcade heritage and it is about going back and playing them again and again and again yeah. and again and a lot of the criticisms i've seen in this game is that oh there aren't many levels you know they're quite short and i kind of find that misses the point a bit it's you know 
it's about getting as good at any in, any one individual level as you can get. So the fact you have to spend four or five hours playing the same levels again and again, it's that's what the, what the genre is about, really. Uh, but before we uh, we move on, as we must, to kind of how the so, some of the how the game was received, a bit of its sort of legacy, if you like. Um, co-op mode was something I haven't put in the show notes because I just didn't do any of it. It's local co-op only um, on both PC and on on the PS4 uh, re-release. Um, did did any of you guys try out co-op and how did that kind of uh, sit for you? Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier that it. Mm. it brings the um some of the gameplay mechanics to the fore which is the vaunt mechanic has got very limited it lasts for a very limited amount of time when you've got someone else on the screen it's about trading off when one person vaunts mm. and when yeah. the other person does um it adds a really nice extra tactical level and the other thing as well is because you've got this quite wide array of ships to choose from mm. you can mix and match so some ships complement others whereas others don't yeah definitely. um and it adds a real extra level of um, uh, of gameplay, which I think a lot of people miss out on because mm. not many people play co-op games no, anymore, really, no. do they? Not couch co-op, um, certainly. Yeah. No, no. Um, it's a shame because I think that's it's a really it's really cle- cleverly done. Although, like I say, I only did it a couple of times. Mm. Um, it's a shame they can shame they didn't have enough money to implement it as an online co-op because that would be really yeah. fun. Yeah. Although I, I wonder how much lag would be a, a problem. Like like with yeah. fighting games, obviously something like yeah. uh, a manic shooter, or a bullet hell shooter, can be uh, very timing based, and you need to be very precise, and that could be problematic. But it doesn't yeah. seem like the sort of game that would be complex enough to uh, to co- have problems with kind of like a, a rollback type. Because the actions of the other person aren't necessarily affecting your no no sure. ship in any way. Like it'll no. it'll take out an obstacle if somebody shoots that ship in particular, but you know they're not nudging you and anything like that. Yeah, I suppose the enemy patterns are so fixed that as long as the two games were in sync to start off with, they shouldn't really get out of sync. So yeah, m- m- but it's kind of a moot point because it just it's not the case. They haven't they haven't implemented that. And I guess with a with a three man development team, that's or three person. They are all men as it happens, but I should say three person development team. Um, that that's kind of understandable uh, if if that's not something they're uh, they're able to implement. Uh. So uh, this game was notable before release, or actually slightly after release. I beg your pardon, as a uh, PAX Ten winner, so one of ten indie games at PAX two thousand eleven that was selected uh, out of entrance as kind of a, a one to watch, if if you like. Um, its review rating currently on PC is 81, slightly higher, I think about 84 on PS4. Um, there was, in November 2011, which was uh, five months after release, um, a Gunpowder Treason and Plot DLC, which adds three, technically four, but the, the fourth ship type is just uh, every time you are hit, it, it spawns you into one of the other seven ship types, uh, Fortune. So it's kind of a... Um, uh, a bit of a roulette as to to what you what ship you're going to be put into uh, adds a different sort of difficulty because you have to be able to to use all of them obviously and and that's the first point at which I realised that in theory each ship has a different pilot so you're not always playing as as rally uh, mm-hmm. because uh, for for one of these ships you're Guy Fox for example um, obviously in keeping with the gunpowder gunpowder treason plot uh, theme. Um, 
There was also, as I mentioned at the start of the show, 17th of March 2015, Jamestown Plus on PS4, which was marketed uh, with the slogan, uh, Jamestown Comes Home, uh, indicating that uh, pr- presumably uh, they feel their place is on console, which seems strange four years after it came out on PC, but uh, it, it came home to PS4 um, with slightly improved tweaks, graphics uh, and sounds. The map is laid out linearly rather than kind of the odd, the PC map. It's not really clear why you're progressing from one region to the next, uh, whereas the map on PS4 is a very linear, you can see your progression across um, the map. So, and the UI is a bit bolder a bit and um, on PC, I should say, even if you're using a controller, you're moving the cursor around the screen like you would with a mouse cursor, whereas on PS4, obviously, they're able to bind the cursor to each option in the menu, so less floating around and having to kind of line up your cursor, um, which can be a bit frustrating if you're using a controller on PC. Um, there are also two new levels, one of which, I, I've only seen these because I haven't played it, I should say, one of which looked very much like a velocity level with kind of the the level layout moving around you blocks sort of sliding out of your way and stuff which was very velocity to me yeah that's that's a brutal level I, <laughs> I, was yeah. like, I wasn't that keen on it i have to be honest mm. um it, uh there's an, there's enough going on without getting caught and moving bits of level mm-hmm. it reminded yeah. me mm-hmm. a bit of um super Alest on the mega drive okay uh she's a not Mega Drive, sorry, it's the Super Nintendo game. Super Nintendo game from the early 90s, mm-hmm. which had a lot of um, almost like maze-like elements in some of the levels. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. there'd be that horrible thing where you just get caught on the bottom of the screen yeah, and that explode yeah. t- time and time again. And the other thing is um, new ships, although the bigger thing seems to be you can unlock customizations for some of the ships to kind of tweak them. So I think you end up with 36 different options for the ship you're playing as when all the customizations are in. Yeah, um, you can change... You can yeah, change the to... shot type as well. Uh, you right, know, you can okay. change the yeah, yeah. angle of fire and things like that. It's... Okay, wow, that sounds quite yeah, in-depth, actually. It's really cool. I really yeah. like the PS4 version. I think it's... Mm-hmm. Although I prefer playing with an arcade stick, um, just I haven't got one for the PS4, that's all. Mm. Um, it's just... It looks great as well on a big telly. Um, one thing I should point out is that a lot of these games in this genre, they tend to have a very narrow, narrow border. You know what I mean? They're, you yes, tend to yeah, have the they're, they're bordered sent- into vertical or horizontal. Uh, well, generally vertical. Uh, yeah, the vertical, the vertical ones tend to be, you have a very small area of play in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. not a lot going on elsewhere in the screen, which is, you know, that's great. That's what it's like in the arcades. But it's nice yeah, for this yeah. to see everything on script. It's uh, filled right screen. out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, that leaves us obviously with our own summaries to do. But before we get there, we have another couple of forum posts. Uh, we do have another from Owen. These, again, are quite long. I have uh, just to, to let Owen and uh, Spencer, our, our other forum poster, know. Uh, I have edited slightly for length, but I've tried to keep them as intact as possible. Um, again, they are quite lengthy, but I think they are they are fantastic summaries of, of some of the stuff we've been talking about. And in, in both cases, slightly different perspective on how to or how they experience the game, which is, which is great as well. So uh, you can... Uh, converse with us on our forums we have jay has kindly put up uh posts threads for all of our upcoming shows so uh even now months in advance of some of our volume five uh, issues you can get on there and put your post up and it will be considered uh 
quite probably used uh, in the show. Uh, so so it's fantastic when people do get on there and put their um, their ideas forward or their thoughts forward. Um, and if, if you're not a forum member or a forum's not a, a way you'd like to, to uh, get your thoughts to us, the other way to do it, again, months in advance of the show if you'd like or right up until the record date, uh, you can email us at podcast at canonrinse.com and if you just stick in the subject line uh, the the name of the game that you'd like to comment about and then just uh, fire us your thoughts. They are always gratefully, gratefully received. So, uh, Ryan, would you like to take us through uh, Owen Kettleson's? Yes, he says, Jamestown, Legend of the Lost Colony, 2011, is caught between new and old ways of thinking about shmups. Though obviously heavily influenced by turn-of-the-millennium arcade shmups, Jamestown tries to get to go in creative directions most arcade shmups don't, with mixed results. Being unable to switch ships on the fly means executing an entire level in one particular style. This makes Jamestown a less dynamic shmup than other franchises like Raiden, 1990, with its scaling, switching weapons, or in Ikaruga, 2001, with its phase switching. In its place, Jamestown's vaunt mechanic is less exciting to play, but brings a tactical level of score building that other shmups lack. This encourages replaying levels in order to determine when and where is best to use vaunt. Success on the leaderboard isn't tied to the level clearing so much as clearing levels efficiently. Jamestown mechanical simplicity encourages the player to master level planning, not reflexive skill to get good. Ikaruga has some of this with its combo mechanic, but the game's difficulty keeps the player more focused on the actual playing than Jamestown memorization focus. Jamestown gets away with tactical approach because it's positioned differently from its classic arcade games that inspired it. Unlike most shmups, Jamestown was designed from the ground up as a home release. Replaying levels instantly, without paying each time, allows the player to change and improve their strategy gradually with practice. In an arcade game, this would feel like a cheap grab for more coins. Jamestown doesn't go far enough, though, in its benefiting from its home platform. Having started on the first difficulty level, I was forced to play through the front half of the game three entire times to get to the final level. It's a cheap way to artificially pad out a shorter game. The game is structured to show the player its duller side more often than its more exciting content, a baffling decision that can make it awfully dull to slog through. This also breaks the difficulty curve. Playing through the game the third time on Legendary is still quite easy as so much of the difficulty in Jamestown is based on memorizing enemy placement and attack patterns. The player learns these things the first time through the game, making the third pass very easy until they arrive on the final level. Planning an unseen level on Legendary is much harder than doing it with practice, creating a massive difficulty spike right at the end of the game that ruins the established flow. The problem isn't that the game gets hard, it's that the game's structure masks the difficulty level before turning it on all at once. As it is, Jamestown's multiple modes don't contribute to each other at all. It feels as if the game tried to, uh, to include the variations you would find in home releases of arcade games. While I always appreciate more modes, the game refuses to let them interact in any way. This makes sense for a home port where they are fluffing up a short experience, but Jamestown is a home release, and these modes could very easily be integrated into a more cohesive whole. The challenge levels, or gauntlet mode, should be incorporated right into the campaign as a means to unlock the later levels. Replaying so much of the game over and over is a weird decision. Jamestown ends up feeling less like a love letter to classic shmups 
but more like a tribute to their awkward home ports. Ports that, much like Jamestown, show off the worst parts of its games proudly. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, I think now's probably a, a decent time to bring up, because I think uh, Simon and, and, and Tony have both mentioned this, which was what I was feeling about this game, which uh, I think this is actually, difficulty-wise, a, a great way into the genre um, for people who maybe aren't as adept uh, at it as, yeah. as someone like you, Simon. I, I, I thought the way they handled it, obviously Owen didn't, uh, and, and the repetition uh, bothered him, and, and that's absolutely fair enough. But I felt that only having access to the first three levels on normal, you learned those levels, you then stepped it up and you stepped it up. Uh, and, and Tony, I, I think it seemed like you agreed. Uh, is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I have to point out, I'm not actually that brilliant at these games. I'm just a bit of a nerd. <laughs> just a bit of a nerd about them. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, I, I'm not on your level in either respect, but uh, it's a bit like fighting games for me, where uh, I take a lot of interest in the games, but when it comes to playing them, my uh, coordination and timing just isn't isn't I, fantastic. I think in, I can uh, understand sure. the point to some degrees. I'd certainly get this with um, you know, shooters or platformers, mm. etc., where. You know, the game developer deems me not capable enough to play on a higher difficulty level and I need to complete the game first to to unlock said level. I always find mm. that frustrating. Like I always think that the gambit should be there if I want to you know, commit suicide and play a, a harder difficulty over and over again and bash my head against a wall. I feel, I feel like that mm. should be an option. Um, yeah. Equally, you know, I, I guess it's you know, from, from our point of view, James is somebody that that aren't necessarily adept at these titles, yeah. having yeah. something that teaches me the mechanics into this game, I, I found a yeah. Fair, you know, fairly unique in a genre yeah. that seems from the outside to be fairly impenetrable. So you know, I, I can certainly see both points. Uh, I just, it's, for this time, I, I guess I happen to fall on the, the side of, I understand a developer's decision rather than riling against it. I guess from Owen's point of view, all that would have been needed was uh, some information at the beginning that only three of five levels would be available on normal, only four or five available on difficult. Maybe if you're used to playing these games and you want to just experience everything straight off the bat, just mm. go in at legendary. It wouldn't have been where I would have chosen to start, but maybe it sounds like Owen would have appreciated at least a heads up, uh, which, mm -hmm. hey, that, that's fair enough. Developers can always be more forthcoming with the information they give to players. Uh, so, you know, maybe that would have been a solution. And I mean, we talked about this before, but... It would have been an interesting scenario because I, I mean, I was honestly peeved when I couldn't play um, <laughs> the later levels on a, on a lower difficulty level yeah, because yeah. I, I am I am a driven kind of person that my time is very valuable and I, I need to get through stuff as quickly as possible. Yeah, but that's not yeah. always the case, and certainly for genres that I adore, I can spend hundreds of hours if I if I feel mm. the, the need to. But yeah. um, for something that I I wanted just to kind of get that that flavor from, I was annoyed that 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 wasn't an option but yeah. it's occasionally you need a, a, a game developer to kind of talk you through an experience and it's one of the highlights of the game for me is that you know that wasn't an option available to me and at the at the end i was frustrated but i feel like i've i've learned something about um, yeah. this genre of shooter which if that option was just well you can play it on any level you want off you go I probably yeah, would have just yeah. abused that developer trust. Like, okay, well, I completed it on normal, and this is my my set opinion. It may have not been the wrong opinion because that's what they could have presented me, but yeah. I don't think I would have necessarily gleaned the most this game had to to show me. And I, and I still haven't because I haven't been back and played 
Sure. Yeah. I've attempted to play in harder levels, but I haven't put the time into mm. to certainly master them. I, I did the first level and enjoyed and, it. And I suppose the other but, thing is, had you and possibly I been told off the bat that Legendary was the only difficulty on which to actually complete the game, maybe the encouragement would have been there just to jump straight into Legendary when actually we weren't ready for it. Mm. Uh, and, and that could have really negatively impacted the game. So um, I, I really do appreciate the difficulty curve in this, uh, but I'll save the rest for my, for my summary. <laughs> um, uh, we have a, a second piece of, uh, well, technically third, because <clears throat> Owen had his, his post about the story as well. Uh, third piece of, um, of forum feedback. And Simon, I think you're going to uh, read this from uh, Telepri for us. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Okay, right. Um, According to my Steam purchase history, I picked up Jamestown almost a year after its release when it was on sale for 66% off. I'm not a huge player of shmups, although I enjoy almost any that I play. I believe I learned about Jamestown after watching a review of it online and added it to my wish list until it inevitably went on sale. Having little to compare the game with, I found the gameplay of Jamestown to be near perfect. The levels never feel too long or too short. The ships all feel good to control although I quickly found my ship of choice with Treason, a fast-moving ship that was perfect for dodging and staying alive when my friends were all dead. I love the vault mechanics as they allow us a small safety net, but we always push to see how long before we gave in and used them. There are times when some of the bullet patterns definitely feel a bit absurd and might even seem unfair without vaunt. I feel as though the game excels on Divine Difficulty, the hardest available at the start. I'm sure that this is dependent on player preference, but my friends and I love the stress of never feeling quite good enough and just scraping by. Judgment, the final difficulty, completely changes the game, adding in green bullets that cannot be destroyed with Vaunt. We've tried the first level a few times, but have never made much progress, perhaps getting to the boss once. While the game works fine as a single player experience, I think it is best with a friend or three. For the PS4 release, this was one of the few games that we would play together on my laptop, usually with me on the keyboard, two people with gamepads, and some unfortunate soul struggling to see what was going on and play with the mouse. Whenever we reached a point where only one person was left alive, the others would begin cheering stroke threatening them on, counting down the time till someone came back. These are among my favourite couch cart moments. I really enjoy the art of Jamestown. The boss designs and background art in the levels are especially nice. The music by Francisco Cerda is also great, and the final level track, The Lost Temple of Croatia Suite, stands out as feeling especially epic. Perhaps this is because it is the track we heard the most. I honestly couldn't tell you a thing about the story other than you're a fugitive from the British who goes to Mars and the Spanish have some rad aliens on their side. The fact that the story didn't engage me isn't at all a problem for me. I'm glad it's there for people who want it, but I'm thankful that it's easily skippable. While I would have bought Jamestown on the PS4 without any updates, the new ships and levels made it an even easier decision. I love being able to play through the game again with my friends without being crowded around a tiny laptop screen. We especially enjoyed the new ship mechanics as they allowed more customization of the standard bullets and special weapon. I quite enjoy the challenge of directing my giant arrowhead through enemies, whilst also avoiding their bullets. I don't have much bad to say about the game. I enjoy some of the challenge levels, not so much the high score ones, but I would be, but I would be completely fine with just the main missions of the game. I think it truly shines with multi- multiple players, especially when you finally beat a boss on your last credit after a dozen close attempts. If you're looking for a great couch co-op experience, don't pass up Jamestown. Excellent. Thank you very, very much. Um, Obviously a very different experience to Owen's, and I think possibly to any of ours as well, given that... uh, It's very co-op focused. It's exactly Mm -hmm. very co-op focused, and with four players as well, because Simon being the only one of us who's 
Tri Corp. I think uh, you said it was just with two, uh, but it is up to four player co op, which mm. uh, must just add to how crazy this <laughs> game looks. To be honest, but but, he must um, he must uh, he must have plenty of um, spare income if he's got four uh, PS4 four. controllers uh, hanging around. <laughs> well, initially four people gathered around one laptop. That doesn't yeah. <laughs> sound fun at all. But uh, but hey, I imagine that just means lots of nudging with the elbows and Wait, trying to put people off. Uh, to, to, um, talk about this, the final part of his post there. It's um, mm. we didn't really talk about the challenge levels, did we? Yeah, you know, you know, no, no, no. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if that's. I mean, I know James just through looking at your steel achievements, you did 14 or so of them, which is uh, um, yeah, I'm getting close, but there's a couple of them. One of them, one of them is actually relatively early on. That's just really tough. Uh, some of them are high score and, and what there tends to be a bit like transistor or bastions challenges. Like 40 there tends seconds, to be a, yeah. a knack to them uh, in terms of how they actually want you to play it. Um, so like I said, the, the train yard one, um, you have to take down the enemies in a specific order and you're probably going to need to use a specific ship to do it. Uh, I think, I, I I only managed it with the beam ship at least. Um, yeah, no good. No, I definitely think for the for the people that are you know are really into this genre and then you know really enjoy this game, they certainly add that kind of depth where you you have to be proficient at what it's asking you to. The, you know the score levels yeah. are, are pretty hard. I found. Yeah. Um, certainly, some of the you know you need to kill X thing in X you know X order. I found it yeah. equally challenging. So, um, you know, it is in the title challenge levels, but they're, they're normally about, you know, 30, 40 seconds long. They're just little snippets of the game. But I could Pretty certainly sure. see if it was something yeah. that I wanted to continue with, it would take me a, a long, a fairly mm. long time <laughs> to perfect. But, but equally well, some of them are, are nice twists on the focus because, yeah, you know, usually in the game you're just relying on survival until you get good enough to to start thinking about score and some of these levels are entirely survival based and your score doesn't matter some of them as you as you say score based or you have to do particular things and um it changes the focus nicely uh, and changes the layout it reuses uh, enemies and sections of the game but they come in in different orders and they uh, attack in different ways so mm. um yeah i just added even more depth to it uh, and gauntlet mode too uh, I, I thought was and great and even some of the steam of achievements as well where that's like you know, playing in judgment difficulty mm. about taking a hit for the entirety of the game <laughs> so, <laughs> yep sure yeah all over that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, i'll dream about, <laughs> about unlocking that at some point i think uh so yeah it is absolutely worth saying that there's there's a lot to this uh, and a lot of it you unlock in the in-game shop but none of it uh, all of it's easily unlockable you know you you accrue money pretty quickly and yeah. uh, they just do that i think to to not overwhelm you at the beginning to ease you in um so yeah um the other way in which you can give feedback to us on our recording day uh if you follow at kane and rinse on twitter there will be a tweet goes out sometime on the day of recording usually in the uh, in the mornings asking for your three word reviews which usually uh are, are best accompanied by the hashtag crt WR. Um, and today we have three of them. So, Tony, would you like to kick us off? Uh, Jay or Vakwaf, Beginner Bullet Barrage. Spencer Saunders says Conquistador. <laughs> yeah, not, not technically three words, but uh, nicely emphasized. <laughs> Jakob42, surprisingly replayable masochism. 
thank you very much for those. As always, it's excellent to have feedback from the community, either in short or long form. So thanks to everyone that provided us their thoughts on the uh, on the game. That leaves only our thoughts remaining. Um, I'm going to be fairly quick with this. I think I think I've kind of already said most of what I'd li- I'd like to say in summary <coughs> of the game. It's I think it's got a great difficulty curve for people who maybe aren't as proficient or aren't as familiar with the genre. I think there's a lot of depth to the mechanics, which is great if you're going after high scores. Gauntlet mode, to me, once I'd unlocked gauntlet mode, uh, having already beaten the game, playing the individual levels, I always played gauntlet mode. Uh, It just reduces, it increases the challenge because you now only have the two continues to last you the whole game. Uh, which still on normal and uh, difficult is is the reduced number of levels, but it just adds the extra challenge, and I loved playing through it as a full experience. Um, But the challenge modes too, I still haven't beaten a challenge mode called the Luge, and I am determined I am going to (laughs) beat that mission. And that's what this game uh, got from me, that even a game like Ikaruga didn't. The fact that I was just happily pressing continue, 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 meant that when I got to the end of Ikaruga, yes, I knew I could go back and repeat and try and play and get better, and I absolutely intend to do that, but I never had the urge to do it immediately. But this game got that out of me, uh, and Tony was absolutely right. Uh, I did kind of probably uh, unfairly, not, not intentionally, but trick him into playing this game because... Usually, I for my selection, I would pick a game that is story-heavy, gameplay-light, is going to provide us some kind of discussion that I think is going to be interesting. And and I think this game does, but it's not because it's story-heavy and gameplay-light. It's actually the opposite. But I think, as a shmup, it's an incredibly interesting... Uh, it's one of a group of incredibly interesting modern shmups that are following in the footsteps of your caves and your treasures excuse me, to bring other players into the fold. And I can only hope that either as a result of this podcast or before this podcast ever arrived, people have found Jamestown and that it has got them interested in looking for your Velocities, your Cinemoras, those sorts of games, because I think this is a really cracking example of the genre, um, especially for people who aren't that familiar with it. Um, and that, that kind of says everything I have to say about it, I think. Um, so, yeah, that, that's uh, that's my thoughts on the game. I think it's worth hunting out if uh, if anything we've said sounds interesting. Uh, Ryan, how about yourself? I appreciated that it kind of gave me a little bit of an easier step to get into the genre than just diving into um, this this genre that has been built on a very loyal player base who have been playing every major release for the past you know 20 30 years however long uh, they've been making these types of games and so they can feel a little impenetrable from the outside and so in that sense i i appreciate that jamestown was very approachable and uh has a very satisfying feel to it but on the other hand i i didn't really get on with the story that much it didn't really do anything for me the um and there wasn't really a lot about the game that stood out in my memory. Uh, I always like to, I always like to try to pick out a few points of you know what did this game do in particular that was new and exciting. What did I really learn? I, I don't really. I have trouble with this game. Like I don't really feel like I 
learned that much from it and then I saw that mm-hmm. much that I hadn't seen before. And so in that sense, like I I don't dislike the game, but also I don't feel like I really gained anything having played it. And so if sure. if you really are looking for a good step into this genre, then this is a good place to start. But um if you're already pretty experienced with the genre and you're just trying to kind of pick from games in your backlog, then uh, you know, I, I don't feel like I would have lost anything if I had just kind of passed it over myself. No, absolutely uh, fair enough. Tony, I get the feeling that you might be a bit more positive. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always am. No, um, um, no actually, I'm, I'm actually going to echo more Ryan here. Um hmm. I, I think actually Jamestown is more of a like a personal triumph in in my gameplay um, more than I think the game is a, a triumph in not necessarily design because it, it has those hallmarks there but it's allowed me to improve you know a genre that I you know previously found fairly hard to get into but I, I, I think like Ryan I don't think there's anything in about about it that is particularly memorable I you know I think the story is. For for a story that we've talked quite long about, I don't think it's you know, it it wasn't it didn't engage me. I found mm-hmm. you know visually that it you know it was pleasant enough, but not you know breathtaking. Um, gameplay, I think you know there's there's clearly and I you know even as somebody you know fairly new to this genre, it's you know there's clearly better games gameplay wise. But I I I have to say that I really appreciated that it, you know it maybe it was because it was from a Western developer. It understood that you know these games can be impenetrable, and that it it needed to kind of have this formation that you know other people that wanted to just try this this genre, um, and it allowed them to do so. I I really enjoyed the the vault mechanic. I I liked playing playing with that, um, and I liked the fact that you know I could improve myself as a game play player in this game. Um, but I wouldn't say yeah, the, the, this is one you have to seek out. If you are a fan of the genre, I think there's better examples. But if you are new to the genre, then I think this is this is a really important one to, to seek out because I think it it will give you that kind of gateway drug um, that it certainly has given me uh, and the urge to want to go maybe try something that is maybe a little bit more competent in structure. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's a, a thumbs up, um, but it's tentatively. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. As all, arguably, all thumbs up should be. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there are very few games that we get to be entirely 100% cloing about. So uh, thank you very much. And apologies for tricking you into playing this game. It's fine. It's, it's worked well. <laughs> and Simon, our special guest on the show, would you like to uh, summarise your thoughts about Jamestown, please? Jamestown isn't going to trouble the classics in this genre, but as a gateway into the fascinating world of bullet hell shooters and shmups indeed, um, you're not going to find a better place to start. Additionally, it's interest, quite interesting thematically and aesthetically, somewhat atypical of the genre. Um, the mechanics are simple but engaging. And if you get anything out of this game, I really do urge you to go on and try titles by The Masters, Cave, and raising tell um yeah re- recommended excellent thank you very very much and uh, brilliantly put um 
before you go, obviously, as as special guests, you have the uh, the the privilege of letting the listeners know where they may find you if they'd like to converse with you about this game or uh, any other topics, of course. Uh, you can find me at at the Sonic Mole on Twitter. Um, uh, also, check out at Cool Box Art. Um, I Definitely. founded a couple of years ago. I've taken a bit of a backseat and I, I, I just post intermittently, but um, it's run by uh, Ross and mostly by Ross and Jin these days who unearthed some pretty cool, broke, quirky stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. So check them out. If you if you any uh, any love for uh, the aesthetics of video game box art, please follow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, heartily seconded. I think it's... Uh, it's fantastic to see some of the uh, the diamonds plucked out from the what can, can be sometimes the rough of video game covers, uh, and so, some of them amongst the era of sort of eighties uh, and early nineties games that didn't always have the best box art, but some of them just have some amazing uh, images associated with them. Uh, so yeah, definitely cool box art seconded by me. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening to issue 224 on Jamestown. Next time, it's issue 225. Gilius Thunderhead, Axe Battler, and Tyrus Flare will save Turtle Village on their way to face Death Adder for control of the Golden Axe. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>